New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through okay, this ministry. All right. Well, morning, everybody. Is it? No, wait. Is it still morning? I'm feeling jet lagged today, folks. Uh, if I start slurring my words, I haven't been drinking. I just, uh, I'm just getting used to the time. But. Um, it's great to see all of you. My goal, I, you probably shouldn't say this at the outset. My goal is to get us out early, okay? They told me this is an hour. I'm going to try not to speak an hour. I want you to know what I said, try. I'm not certain I'll be successful in that. But I'm going to try to speak for about 30 minutes, maybe leave some time for questions uh, if you want, and then uh, maybe we can beat everyone uh, to the line for lunch. Something like that? Yeah? In Jesus' name? Okay. Uh, let, me, uh, let me read a couple verses over you. I'm, I'm not going to teach my whole book, uh, but uh, some of it's been making appearances in the evening sessions, parts of why I wrote it. Uh, I'm going to teach kind of a section out of it, something that I think uh, will, will be helpful for us in a real practical way. So uh, we'll, we'll just cover a little sliver of some practical advice in this session uh, from uh, Rest and War. And like he said, I, I wish I would have gotten the title War and Peace. I was a little late. Uh, someone got it first, but uh, it's a good title. But anyway, let's read Genesis, shall we? Uh, let me read a couple verses to you from Genesis uh, 1 and 2. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night. That was evening and morning the first day. I'm going to skip to verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I'm going to move to chapter 2. Trust me, this will all make sense in a minute. Uh, 2.5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east, uh, planted a garden of Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Last verse, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Well, Father, I just do pray for your grace for all of us as we uh, speak together. Uh, I, I pray, Lord, that uh, we could learn. And, and deepen in our faith as a result of these few minutes. And uh, I just want to invite you again, friends, if you're up for it, take a minute and pray. Uh, pray for yourself and ask him. Say, Lord, please teach me in this time. <clears throat> well, Father, we love you. And we trust you. Use this time in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I'll just talk fast so you don't even have time to hear a word he's saying. You got that? Okay. All right. Uh, I'll tell one more Navy SEAL story. Shall we do that? All right. I got one more. All right. So, well, I have many more, but I have one more that I'll share in Ireland on this trip. But uh, several years ago, I was invited to uh, their base on the West Coast in Coronado Island. And uh, when I was there, they have an obstacle course uh, on that base. And I was invited to run the Navy SEAL obstacle course. And if you're not familiar with them, it's, it's a series of, of walls to scale and ropes to climb and, and logs to jump over. And uh, so for several grueling minutes, I did that. Leapt over walls, crawled through sand, climbed up ropes, etc. And when I was finished, the instructor that was guiding me through it said, uh, you completed it in under 12 minutes. Uh, that was the minimum requirement uh, to be considered to be a Navy SEAL. So I felt pretty good about that. I was like, wow, look at that, okay. Uh, and then the instructor said, all right, now let me do it. And uh, he was a SEAL himself. He then uh, negotiated the course in six minutes, walking leisurely between each obstacle. And I remember thinking, ah, well, he's had more practice. And then I thought, and he's a Navy SEAL. Uh, and when I had to take nine Advil a day the next two weeks, right, nine ibuprofen, just to function, sit, I realized, I don't think God built me to be a Navy SEAL. I think I've been finely crafted by God to read books and explain them. Uh, but every time I leave that community, uh, some questions come up in my mind. Like, like I leave and I start to question uh, my manliness. Now, they don't do that to me. No one's writing me a prescription to up my manliness quotient. But I just leave them and I start to ask myself questions like, what is my first move in a knife fight? I don't even know. Like right now it's, and that doesn't feel right. Or what happens if there's an emergency and we need someone to fly a helicopter? I'm gonna be helpless. We're gonna have to find a real man to do it because I can't do it. And I do stuff like that to my head before I go, you know what? There's only 2,000 of these guys anyway. So if the SEALs are a standard of manliness, there's not a lot of men in the world. So that can't be the definition of what it means to be a man. And ladies, I'm not leaving you out. I'm, I'm gonna get to ladies. But, uh, it led me down a, a series of questions of, well, then what is a man for? What is the thing a man could do or a woman do that you say, I did it. I did what I was made to do. We accomplished those things. I know what a phone does. I know what a hammer does. What does a human being do that fulfills its function? And I think in the modern world today, a lot of people say, well, you know, just do what you're good at and do what you love. But any definition that can successfully be met by a murderer is not a sufficient definition. You know I'm good at it, and frankly, I enjoy it. You're like, yikes, okay, something's wrong with this. Insufficient definition of what it means to be someone who's really successfully lived as a human being. So I think the answer is, if you want to know the purpose of a creation, you look to the creator's intent, right? and say, how did he make us to work? What do we do that we could say we did it? And I talk to a lot of people who feel that sense of existential angst. I, I don't know if I'm really doing what I meant to do, and that sense of hopelessness and despair can steal a lot of joy. So I, I'm not gonna answer every philosophical question here, but I wanna give us some practical, what do I do? If, if, if a fish is most free when it swims, and a bird is most free when it flies, what does a man do? What does a woman do that we could say, I am doing what I'm made to do? And, and I think if we want to know the creator's intent, we have to look at creation. 
And that's why I read that, to, to see what God did. And, and, and the Bible says that we were made in the image of God. And, and commentators go different directions in explaining what that means to be made in the image of God. But I just want to show us one thing as you will look at it in Genesis 1 and 2, what it means to be made in the image of God. And so I read Genesis 1 first because you get to see God. Genesis 1 is not really about creation. Genesis 1 is about the God of creation. It's the introduction of God to his people. And you, you see someone, you see their attributes through what they have made, right? Uh, I listen to the rap of Eminem, and I know he's a very sad and upset man, right? Uh, you, you watch people's art, you listen to their art, you see their art, it reveals the artist. And so when we see Genesis 1, it's showing us who God is. And, and if you look at the beginning, we read it, that in Genesis, did you saw at the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then... Uh, there's four negatives. It says, now the earth was formless and void, and there was darkness over the surface of the deep. It's a great mystery there. You're in Genesis 1-2, and you have four negative statements. You go, where did this negative situation come from? Where did this chaotic, watery matrix come from? And people say, well, God created in Genesis 1, and then there was the angelic fall, and so this is the recreation. Whole books have been written about the story between Genesis 1 and 2. We'll cover none of that. But the idea is, all commentators believe these are four negative words, that the earth was formless and void, and there was darkness over the surface of the deep. And then it says the Spirit of God began to hover over the surface of the water. God moves towards this chaotic environment. Uh, those words formless and void, uh, in Hebrew, they're the words tohu and bohu, which sound like a clown duo, right? Uh, but they're actually a major problem, right? Uh, tohu means no structure, uh, no scaffolding. Uh, bohu means no substance nothing to fill it. It would be like there's no vase and there's no flower in the vase. There's no form and nothing flourishing. There's no structure and no life. But in the midst of that wasteland, the Spirit of God begins to move. God exerts himself on the waters of chaos. And as he does it, he begins to speak. And, you know, he says, let there be light. And there was light. He illuminates it. And after he does that, it says there was evening and morning one day. What's a day? It's a rotating of the earth. This watery matrix begins to rotate. And as he rotates this matrix, the water begins to separate. and You get the air, right? And then as it continues to separate, you get the land. And by days one, two, and three, you get sea, air, and land. Everything you need to be a Navy SEAL. Because that's what SEAL stands for, sea, air, and land. Did you know that? All right, just a little military education. Uh, but what you see God doing in days one, two, and three of Genesis is he's creating the teleological support structures for life. He's building the scaffolding we need. He solved Tohu in three days. He built the life support systems we need. And then in this beautiful poetry in Genesis, we don't have time to cover it all, uh, he fills each of those things. Into the heavens, he puts the stars. Into the air, he puts the birds. Into the sea, he puts the fish. And into land, he put animals and us. And you see in days four, five, and six, in this beautiful rhythm, he solves Tohu, and then he solves Bohu. He builds forms, but, but not a stifling structure, forms that allow for flourishing. He builds a structure that doesn't box us in. It's a structure that allows for the flourishing of life, that it can be blessed and reach its potential, right? And then at the end of all that, the narrative slows down, and God begins to speak not to light, not to the land. He speaks to himself and says, let us make man in our image. And you understand what God was doing all this for. Uh, it's interesting. I had a friend 
that years ago uh, got engaged to be married. And uh, they were believers in Jesus, wanted to be sexually pure before their marriage. And so when they're engaged and waiting for their marriage day, uh, he had a lot of pent-up energy. So uh, he decided to build all the furniture in their house from scratch. It was unbelievable. Like, I can't put together a desk from Ikea, right? You know, where they give you the little piece of paper with pictures, not even words. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. Babe, can you help me? Uh, I can't do it. Uh, this guy's in a forest looking at trees going, that's going to be a coffee table. <laughs> and planning it out. And I remember showing up at that house and the coffee table, end table, bed table. I mean, it was unbelievable. This guy had formed their furniture. And I remember looking at that and I'm like, dude, from, from the wisdom in your mind and the strength of your arm, because of the love in your heart, you created this environment and it displays your glory but you did it to create a home into which you could lead this woman and love her and create memories together and live a life together. That's beautiful. And that's what you see happening at the end of the creation story, that God has displayed his glory and we're meant to enjoy it and celebrate him for it. But he made it all, why? To usher us in, like building a home out of the wisdom in his mind, for the strength of his might, because of the love in his heart, he created an environment, a structure where we could flourish. See it? Everybody with me so far? I'll take silence as a yes. Okay, all right. And then Genesis 2 starts, and Genesis 2 retells creation again. And you're like, why? Did Moses forget? Did he lose train of thought? No, it's fascinating. It's telling it from a more human perspective. And did you notice in Genesis 2, you get four negatives again. But it's different. It's, it's formed, it's aimed at us. It says there was no bush of the field, no flower of the grass, because there was no rain and there was no man. You get four no's again. No, 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 no. No bush, no grass, no rain, no man. And then God begins to move, and God solves the problem of the rain, and then God solves the problem of no man, and God creates humanity, and God makes this man, and out of these four negatives, God draws this guy, puts him in the garden, and did you see what it says for him to do in Genesis 2.15? It says, I put him in the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, what does the word cultivate mean? If I'm cultivating a garden, I'm not creating things ex nihilo, let there be apples. I don't have that power. But if I'm cultivating, what am I doing? I'm organizing trees and grass and bushes. I'm organizing them in a way that they can reach their full potential, that they can flourish. That's what I'm doing. I'm creating structure, but not a stifling structure, a structure that's conducive to life. So I'm tying little trees to sticks, right? It's not to torture the trees like, why God? No, it's, it's, it's to help them grow straight so they can be tall, so they can produce fruit. I, I'm creating structure, but not a stifling structure, one that's conducive to life, form for the sake of flourishing. I'm imaging God. Do you see that? I remember reading that and studying that and thinking, that's what we're for. We're made to know God and enjoy God, and then be like God, we are meant to create forms for the sake of flourishing, structure for the sake of life. We cultivate this world. We create environments where everything under our influence can flourish, right? This is what school teachers do. You create a learning environment, what? So that kid can reach their maximum potential. This is what 
parents do. You create a home environment where your kid can reach their potential. This is what husbands do. I take my time, energy, money, resources to create an environment where my wife can flourish under God. Maybe not give her every single thing she wants, but give her everything she needs to grow under God. That's what a wife does. Create an environment where my husband can reach his full potential. That's what architects do. Let me create a building where you can come in and use your gifts and let me create a structure that's not going to fall on you and kill you. I'm going to build structure where you can flourish. This is what your financial advisors do. They want to put your money in a place where it can grow. And if they put it in a place where it can't grow, you get a different financial manager, right? That we're all meant to do this. We're meant to build structure for the sake of flourishing. Do you see it? Are you with me so far? Hallelujah. All right. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about here. How do I get into this rhythm that God made me to use the gifts he gave me, time he gave me, influence he gave me, to organize the limited time, money, and resources I have so that all life under my care can flourish, right? Now, at this point, we could go a million different directions. I just want to go at one. I want to go at you. Because before you create an environment where your kids can flourish or your spouse can, or the people you lead in your office, you have to create an environment where you can. Have I structured my life in a way where I can flourish under God? Have I structured my environment in a way that I can reach my full potential? Before we start trying to do that to everyone else, let's start at home. Does that make sense? That's where we're going to go in our few remaining minutes. Is I want to give us some, some basic, what I call survival skills. Because I know when I started in ministry, I did what a lot of ministers did. I got real busy, but I wasn't sure if I was productive. Has anyone ever felt that way? Where you're doing a lot of things, and then you get to the end of the day, and you're like, but I'm not sure what I did. I don't know if that's a uniquely American problem, where it's common when you ask someone that, hey, how are you doing? They usually say, busy. And then when you say, well, what did you do today? They go, let me think about it. (laughs) They're not sure. And it sounds funny, but you know, when you live your life like that, I wake up feeling overwhelmed, I wake up feeling behind, and then I get to work, and I work, 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 and then I go home and go, what did I do today? That sense of, of what did I accomplish becomes a sense of meaninglessness, and that's, a, that's a, a terrifying form of torture to say, I don't know where my life's going. But if I can look at my life and say, but God has given me, he has called me to be a steward of the resources he's given me so that life under my care can flourish. Now I have purpose. No matter what job you're in, no matter what country you're in, no matter what home you're in, you have agency. Not out of some weird preference I'm making out of the scripture, but because God called you to structure life in a way that can flourish, right? Uh, So this has been a calling in my life because I've seen so many people struggle, and I myself have, and I'm trying to find ways to navigate the spiritual world in a way that's really practical and helpful. That's why I wrote Rest and War. There's times to be at peace, and there's times to get in the fight, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we cover basically three things, three survival skills based out of what I just read in Genesis, all right? The first one is, for for us to reach our potential as women, as men, I think you need a productive schedule. You need a productive schedule. Surprise! I don't think a lot of people think I'll start with that one. Are you saying I need a calendar? Yes, I think you do. I think you need some kind of structure because lack of preparation leads you to that tyranny of dual attack of feeling unproductive and stressed. I feel like I have so much to do, but I don't know what to do. I know when I first yes, left university, I would feel that way. I, I, was, I was given the charge of building a youth ministry, but I had never been a part of one. 
And I would sit at my desk and feel overwhelmed, like, I don't know how to build this. And then someone would be like, I need help with the copier. I'm like, well, Christians help. I guess I'll help, even though I don't know how a copier works. And so I'm there like, I don't know, open and shut this a few more times. And beep, bom, bom, bom. And then someone's like, you want to go to lunch? And I'm like, I guess. Christians eat lunch. And I'd go to some two-hour lunch with no strategic purpose. And then I would get back to my office and be like, oh, man, I'm so full. I want to take a nap. But I have so much to do. And then I went home and like, I didn't do anything. And then I just felt bad. And I realized I don't like how this feels. And for many of us, that, that sense of frustration can open us up to sin. That as you go, I'm frustrated with my life not going somewhere, we try to get a distraction from our life, and the devil will offer us some real destructive places to do that. And so for our own spiritual life, we got to get this right. And, and some of you, uh, you're like a, a lion. I remember I read a book on lion tamers, and it was explaining why the lion tamer has the stool. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I understood the whip, and I understood what the gun was for. That's if things aren't really working out. But the stool confused me. What's it for? And, and what this author was saying is, when you hold the stool in front of a lion, it tries to focus on all four points at once. And as it tries to focus on too many things at once, it gets paralyzed and doesn't do the basic thing lions are built to do, namely eat the soft, chewy guy in front of you, right? And so you end up doing silly little meaningless things, right? Uh, because you've lost a sense of your innate purpose. Right? Or others of you, you're like an octopus on roller skates. It's a lot of movement, but it's not necessarily forward. And yet here in Genesis, we see our creator's intent is for us to build a structure where we can flourish. This is what we're meant to do. We are not victims of our schedule. We are masters of our schedule under God, right? Ephesians 5 tells us, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Jesus said it. Uh, Pragmatitza, make a profit. Take the talents I gave you and put them in a place where they reach their fullest potential, right? The hand of the diligent will rule is what Proverbs says. So how can we do that? Let me, let me give you a practical way to do it that helped me. Uh, what I did is I would take a blank piece of paper, and I still do this um, not every day now anymore, but I do it maybe once a week or once a month sometimes, is I take a blank piece of paper, and at the top I write my titles, the roles I have under God. So your titles may be I am a father or a mother. I'm a parent. It may be I'm a leader in my office. Uh, it may be, for me, I'm a teacher or preacher. Some of you may be, I may be a student in a university, right? I am the steward of certain amount of resources. I am a, I'm a child of God that, that is related to these certain family members. I, I'm, I'm a parent, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a child in a family. And so I would write these titles like, who am I under God? These basic things that I know about myself. For now, I know in mine, I have like, I'm a teacher, of the Bible. I'm a pastor of people. I'm a leader of an organization. These are things that I put in mind. And so early in the day when I wake up, I, I put all the titles up there and then I just vomit out under each one all the tasks associated with each of those titles. And I don't try to control it yet. I don't try to organize it. But I know if I don't put them out there, they just roll around in my head and make me feel stressed. Oh, i got to call that guy back. Oh, I'm not spending enough time with my kids. Oh, i got to prepare the sermon. Oh, I'm a terrible father. And you just kind of suddenly get all these things whir whirling in your head. You go, no, 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 no. Let me just dump out everything, but let me organize them under who I'm called to be. And then I take a piece of paper where I put all seven days um, of the week broken up into about 30-minute increments, and I start praying over, Lord, under these titles you've given me 
and the tasks I have that I'm aware of under them, how are they going to now fit into my time? Because I want to structure my life by priorities, not by proximity. Priority, not by proximity. See what I mean by that? That, that I want to live with a sense of purpose that I'm doing what I'm called to do. It's funny, I heard people would say that all the time about Jesus. Well, Jesus had a ministry of interruptions. And I'm like, no, he did not. Jesus did not have a ministry of interruptions. Look at him. He's walking and some guy goes, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, foxes have holes. I don't. Bah. He didn't even break stride. Right? Other guy says, hey, I want to follow you, but let me bury my parents. He's like, let the dead bury their own dead. And he's moving. And you go, Jesus didn't stop. And then another one was like, son of David, have mercy on me. And he was like, yeah, I'll stop. Go ahead. I want to hear that because I am the son of David and I came to bring mercy. And so that is worth my time. So, so Jesus would move past some things and stop and pause for others. Why? Because he had a clear sense of who he was and why he was here. And he let his priorities determine his schedule. And I want the same for you. Uh, I used to do this with my interns uh, because I worked with university students and they always felt overwhelmed. And it was difficult as an adult, you want to be like, you're in class 10 hours a week. You got all the time. And you're like, that doesn't help. They're not like, you're right. Thank you for that shaming. It's not helpful. And so I'd say, all right, let's make a list. And here's all your titles. And let's dump out everything underneath them. And then let's look at your schedule. Let's shade in with some colors your class schedule. And what they would do is shade it in. And then they'd see all this open white space on the page. And they're like, wow. And you're like, yeah, you do have time. So it's not that you don't have enough time. God hasn't cheated you out of hours. It's just that you're inefficient. But when were you going to learn this? So let's, let's structure out your day so it matches your priorities of, of what kind of person you want to be. And as you do that, it was wonderful because I would watch them not, not feel enslaved to their calendar, but feel liberated by it. No, like for me, I realized I studied best in the morning. And so for me, I don't answer phone calls in the morning. Now, I need to answer some phone calls as a leader, but in the morning, I need to write sermons. And so I tell my staff, don't call me in the morning. That's when my mind is working the fastest. That's when I'm most creative. So the teacher part of me gets the morning. But I can't neglect my staff. So I go and I meet with them in the afternoons because I'm too tired to write a sermon, but I can sit and listen to your problems. Let me know what's going on. How can I help you? Let me serve you. And then I'll have people say to me all the time, hey, man, I really need to have a chat with you. Can, can we hang out? Can we have dinner? Can we do this? And I usually tell them no, which sounds mean, but I'm like, man, I got kids. I'm a dad. I come home from work, and I got a few hours with them before they go to bed. I don't want to miss that window. So uh, on Sundays, when church is over, I am there and always hungry. So let's go to lunch. And, and, I, and I put them in a schedule that, that allows me to reach my potential as a dad, as a father. And when I get home, I take my phone and, and, and put it away from me, right? Because I don't want my kids to watch me choose my phone over them. And I, I'm trying to structure my life to fit my priorities. And when my schedule matches my priorities, I feel a sense of agency, and I want that for you. Have I beaten that horse sufficiently, Dad? Right? Is that, all right, we'll keep moving. Okay, so number two, as I would say, into that structure, you put a positive sanctuary, a positive sanctuary. Notice when God created humanity, male and female, God created this structure, and their first full day was a day of rest. They rested before they went to work. And he says, hey, the first full day, I want you to enjoy me because I want what you do to be an overflow of your sitting with me, right? You see that with Jesus. Uh, Jesus 
before he went into the desert to be tempted by Satan, what happened? The heavens broke open. God looked down and said, that's my son with whom I'm well pleased. You know what's great about that? Is Jesus hadn't done any miracles yet. He hadn't done anything. He hadn't turned water into wine. It was still water. All the lame people were still lame. All the blind people were still blind. But the father said, but that's my boy, and I love him. I am pleased with him. It started with the pleasure of God. And from that place of pleasure, Jesus could withstand the pressure of the desert. God didn't wait to see how he did in the desert to give love to him. God loved him, and Jesus received it. And then when he got out to the desert, he's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going for that. I'm not doing that. It, It was because he was soaked in the love of the father. He could push out the lies of the devil. Do you see that? Uh, so for us, as you're scheduling your life, I want to challenge you. And I challenge young people to do this. As they were looking at their schedule their day, I said, man, see what you have. Oh, I have to be at the office here. I have to do this. I said, and then schedule in time to steal away with the Lord. When I was at university, I would always look at my schedule and go, man, where are the times I'm going to steal away with God? And where are the places I will go? Uh, where I grew up, it was supposed to be in the morning. You were supposed to have a quiet time. Which quiet time, do you all use that language for reading your Bible? Yeah, it's not bad. I always thought it sounded a little like punishment. You get over there and you be quiet. You're like, okay, thank you, Lord. And uh, I'm like, I don't know. Uh, so I, I didn't necessarily like that. And spiritual discipline is not a bad word either, but discipline also sounds like you're in trouble. So I, I tend to think of it like rhythms of a relationship. I have a, a, a rhythm of dates with my wife. Uh, it's not to, um, I don't sit down at a date with her and go, we will now practice the discipline of dating. You know, like that's kind of a killer. Uh, so I think it's good to be disciplined to create space with the Lord. But anyway, I'm getting off into language. But I, I try to find these times to steal away with him. When I was in university, it was hard to do first thing in the morning. But I would look at my schedule and go, where are the times I'm free? And where can I steal away to meet with him? And I would find places I was looking forward to going. There were some gardens I like to sit in and, and read. There was... Um, a high school I used to sneak on the roof of to pray. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but what, are they going to arrest me now? I would just <laughs> sneak up under the roof. It was quiet under the stars, and I would sit and pray on Sunday nights. I just found these places to steal away that were just for me and God. And, and I really fell in love with him in those years. Now for me with kids, it has to be in the morning. I have to get up before them. Uh, if I don't wake up before them, uh, I wake up angry. It's very hard, right? You, you have to meet with the Lord before you meet with your children. You're like, Lord, give me peace and rest. And fill me up because here they're, they're coming. I can hear them. They're coming. And uh, uh, so I got to do it early now. But you find those times and places to steal away with the Lord and, and create that time. For my staff, we have a once a month day with the Lord where we find some place we're looking forward to going and we go there. We have the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., and I'll, I'll go there and sit and just in a big cathedral and, and, and think about the Lord and pray to him. Other times we'll just go out into the, the wild somewhere and sit and read stories about Jesus stealing away into the wilderness, which was his rhythm, out into the wilds with God and then into the busy of the city. And I want that rhythm as well. Because before I get off this point, let me say this. Here's the fascinating thing about the human machine. You will seek pleasure. You're built that way. You will seek it. And when you're tired and stressed and lonely, your body and your mind will cry out for release. And if you don't create a positive one, the devil will offer you an evil one. 
And for many of us, we want to get good at discipline, and I work hard, and I provide, and I care for my people, and care for my kids, and I do this, and we give ourselves no rest. And then when our defenses are down, and we're discouraged, and things don't go our way, the enemy whispers, well, just turn on this movie, turn on this screen, go towards this drink, find this thing to be a release, find that person's arms to be a release, and, and we'll go to some destructive places for release, and we'll drink sand when we're meant to drink from the living water. And so we just have to know that about ourselves. You're not weird, you're not... Uh, uh, well, you're broken, but we all are. You're as broken as us, right? Uh, but you have to know this is how the machine works. So how do I aim it at what's going to be redemptive? That's what C.S. Lewis said. It's the business of man to be as happy as they possibly can. I'm not going to go to broken cisterns, Jeremiah said. I'm going to the fountain of living water. So for me, I'm always looking ways to steal away with God. I, I try once a year to, to go someplace where I can steal away with God right? Uh, it's hard to schedule getaways, but I, I know if I have something six months in advance, I'm looking forward to it. I did it this morning as part of my devotional time. I'm like, I'm so tired. And I just wrote out every day of the next two months. And then I circled the days where I know I'm going to steal away and meet with God. And I'm like, but those are going to be awesome. And uh, I'm going to steal away with him and delight in the places I go with him. Uh, I have friends that have very high powered jobs and what's fascinating about them is they weirdly prioritize fun. Like in a way that was almost off-putting for me. Like I was just like, no, you're just supposed to work hard and grind it out until you die, right? But they were just like, let's go surf. Let's ride a bike. Let's jump out of a plane. Let's, fun. let's dance. And I'm like, what is your deal? And I realized, oh, they know I have to aim this energy of release towards something redemptive or else it'll go someplace dark. And so I would say for you, get a structure and then put into that a sanctuary uh, David, the warrior, said in Psalm 23, God makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside cool waters. He restores my soul. So if you're never laying down in green pastures, if you're never beside cool waters, then you just have to be honest. The Lord is not shepherding you. Your ego is. Your insecurity is. But when the Lord shepherds you, will you be busy sometimes? Yeah. Read Jesus' life. There were some times he didn't sleep. He just healed all night long. Like, give me another one. Give me another one. Demon's out, right? And he was just working. But the next morning, steal away with the Lord. So there may be times where you're busy, but God always puts into that restorative rest. That's the rhythm God's created of rest and then war. And the last thing I would say is we need protective saints, right? This is the last one we'll talk about. Uh, we need a productive schedule, right? Uh, we need a positive sanctuary, and we need protective friends, people who will look out for us. This is where Adam and Eve failed. God gave them this companionship, right? God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for that man to be alone. And some Christians may look at that and go, what do you mean alone? He had the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He had the perfect quiet time, 24 hours a day. And yet God says, no, that's not good. That God is community. God is love. God is a party. You ever think of it that way? That, that God is a party. And he says, and you will never be who you're meant to be unless you are in deep community with others, sharing and being shared with, celebrating and being celebrated, loving and being loved. You're meant to be in a communal space where you build each other up. And so God created Eve and says, you two cultivate together. That doesn't mean you have to be married, but it does mean you have to be knit together with an us. You will never be fully you without an us. And some of you, if I can be honest, our deepest sins, our deepest shame, where does it come? In isolation. And we know that. That's how the devil works. Let me separate you from the herd, and you're easy to take out. 
the greatest protection is to be around an us. And you need that. And for some of you, that sense of agency in your life will only come around an us. I'll tell you one last story. I remember I had a young man in my ministry uh, when I was a youth pastor, and he came to Christ and was so excited about it. I mean, it was a big call for him. He didn't grow up in a Christian environment. He was like, man, this is amazing. I want to learn about Jesus. And I was like, all right, well, let's start having coffee once a week, and we'll just read the Bible together. So we'd meet at this coffee shop, and I'm discipling him. And then as I did it, I I felt like we were meeting some kind of resistance. Something was bothering him. And then he told me what it was, uh, reluctantly confessed to me that, that he had a deep struggle with pornography. And I said, well, where does it get you? And he said, uh, in my bedroom, on my computer, late at night, I can't stop. And I said, well, the Bible says make no provision for the flesh. Just get that computer out of your room. And he said, I can't. I'm like, what do you mean you can't? He's like, my mom put it there. He was a teenager. And he was like, and if she sees me le- removing it, she's going to ask about it. He said, I'm too embarrassed to be like, just a little porn addiction, mom. No big deal. Don't worry about it. He said, I'm not ready for that conversation. And I was like, well, man, I'm not sure what to tell you. So he would put little passwords on it, but then he could just take them off. Or he'd unplug his computer, but then he could just plug it back in. And after a while, you're like, man, I I don't know what to tell you. So when we would meet, I, I didn't beat him up about that issue. We just talked about the beauties of what it is to walk with God and really know with him and really cherish Jesus. And, and I'll never forget, this was years ago, back when the internet wasn't in the air. You had to use cables and plug them into walls, kids. Um, I remember he came to me once, not in our scheduled meeting time. And he held out his internet cable. And he said, here, I want to give you this. He said, it's not going to control me anymore. And then he left. But what was wild is the next day, his best friend came in my office, and he held up a cord, said, heard you're collecting these. (laughs) See you later. And he left. And what's great is those guys began to pray for each other and support each other and build each other up. Don't shame each other, but encourage each other. And you know what happened to them? They, they had a liveliness return to them. And here's the crazy thing. Their high school that they went to was not the closest school to our church. But the second largest constituency of students in our ministry were from their high school. Why? It wasn't because they were walking around with their Bibles going, hey, you, repent, right? That's not what happened. But friends were coming to them and saying, something's different about you. You seem happier. You seem lighter. I see something happening in you, progress over time. And they would say, you know what it is? It's Christ. All this stuff we preach about and sing about and talk about, about freedom and liberty and joy and love, they're like, I know what it feels like because I watched it in this very practical way, and so I believe it in all these unseen ways that God really can change me. He really can move me. And, and yes, they were forgiven in Jesus when they put their faith in him. There's no condemnation for those in Christ, but freedom and healing comes through the gift God gave us of us. Amen? And so as we look at our lives, God made you to know him and make him known, to enjoy him through creation, and then use the gifts and abilities he gave you to structure the life you have so all life can flourish. Your home can flourish. Your work can flourish. Northern Ireland can flourish. That's what it's for, but it starts with you. How am I going to structure my life? Think of it like a garden. What, what needs to get uprooted from my life? It may not even be evil, but something that you go, you know, this is a distraction for me, and I want to live with more intention. I'm pulling these weeds out of my garden. I want to plant this. I have a habit of staying up late and doing this. I'm going to uproot it. I want to get up early and sit with the Lord. I'm going to plant that. 
I will not do that without help. So Lord, help me find a protective community, an us to walk in the garden with. Lord, help me tether in deeply with people I can trust. It's not everybody, but it's a few. Lord, bring those people to me. And as I do that, Lord, as I get a productive schedule, positive sanctuary with you, protective saints around me, I begin to see opening up before me what I'm made to do. And the more I begin to walk in the paths the Lord set for us, the easier it is to worship because you know I'm fulfilling my created intent. Amen? Does that make sense? All right. That was a little longer than 30 minutes, but it's still under an hour. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, let me pray and then we'll, uh, yeah. So, Lord, thank you for everybody here. And uh, I just pray, Lord, for all of us. Maybe even now, and friends, I'd invite you to just take a minute and ask him. Say, Lord, what in that was for me? And maybe some of you just ask him now, Lord, give me a vision of what it would look like for me to be someone who steals a way to meet with you. What would that look like? Where would that be? Sitting on a coastline, sitting in the backyard, in the quiet stillness of the house. Lord, give me a, a vision of what it would look like for me to be someone who, who's still with you. Ask him, Lord, what's something fun I could do with you? Just where I could laugh with friends and there'd be no sorrow added to it. It's not a guilty pleasure. It's a redeemed pleasure. God, show me what it would be like to be someone who, who enjoys the world you made with you. Ask him to give you a sense of schedule of, you know, I've, I've, I've neglected certain categories because of others and... Maybe it's out of insecurity. Maybe it's out of pride. Ask him to show you what you need to uproot, what you need to plant, what you need to change so you can flourish under God. Well, Lord, we know that shame impedes strategic thinking. So I just pray you would protect us from shame. I pray nobody would beat themselves up that they're not living this perfectly. But I just pray, Lord, they would feel a sense of agency. My God made me to flourish and to build structure where I can flourish. So, God, I just pray you'd give people a vision of how to do that. Not be perfect, but make progress as a result of today. So I pray today would be like a seed landing in good soil that would flourish and grow much fruit in our lives. That we could come back to New Horizon next year and not by any stretch say we're perfect, but say, but you know what? I have some rhythms of rest and war. I have some rhythms with God that I'm living the life I was made to live, and that is a beautiful thing. We love you, Lord, and pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we did it. Yes. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.